Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I am Stuart Roberts and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me podcast. Um, And I'm really, really grateful and happy to have this episode with a good, good friend of mine uh, by by the name of Paul Hannaford. And he's um, a wonderful human being. Um, He's got a really colourful past. But he uses that to help people, particularly young people, uh, in today's society. So, hello, Paul. Hi, Stuart. Good evening. <laughs> evening. So, do you want to just tell us tell us about everything that you do? Well, what I do today is is, is just share my experience, mm. um, you know, which I've got a lot of. I mean, look, in hindsight, in the world, I mean, apart from what's going on now with this with this virus, and you know, life will go back to normal. But you know, we did, we, we've got a problem, and lucky enough, it slowed down a little bit, but. Before the virus, we had a major problem with stabbings, didn't we? And we had a major problem with gangs, you know, a major problem with drugs, and, you know, all things like that, which was a massive part of my life. Massive. You know, it took up, you know, 23 years of my life, alcoholism, addiction, the gangs, and knife crime. And you know what? I mean, I was, I was my, my first experience of probably alcohol, I was brought up in a pub in Orchard, Essex. And I remember being 10 years of age, and the pub was full of, like, different characters. You had all your villains coming in, then you had all your... West Ham lot, the ICS, they'd be in there. And, you know, I was thrust amongst all this, and I loved it. A 10-year-old little boy, every weekend, I used to go and sit with all these gangsters, and they used to play this card game called Kaluki. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's like they play with matchsticks. And I'd sit there, and I'd be like a little errand boy. So I used to pick up, I used to go and get their trays of beer, their, you know, their light and lagers or whatever they used to all remember, take it back to their table, and then I'd run over to the shop and get their, to get their cigarettes. I mean, they used to sell kids' cigarettes in them days, you know. But, um, so yeah, you know, like, that was a big part of my life. And then what happened was, um, my mum and dad uh, split up. I come home one day and dad, my dad was God. You know, I, I, I was a Christian, my dad. And, you know, and with the drinking, the half hours drinking, and they, 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 they separated. So my dad was no longer in my life. So, like, it was a big thing for me. You know, I had three younger brothers at the time. Then my mum got a new boyfriend, and I was living in this two-bedroom flat in Narrowdale. And, you know, a year before that, I'm in this great big pub with eight bedrooms with my dad. So, you know, a little bit of trauma there. Mostly, I think it affected me a little bit because I loved school. And then I just I just um, rebelled against everything. Mm. School, got involved with the wrong crowd, cannabis. Next year, I know I'm 15, fully fledged gang member. I picked up 15 or 20 convictions by the time I was 15. I've done three prison sentences. And I was getting paralytic every night of the week. Paralytic. I mean, really strong lager. And I was committing crime, you know, the shoplifter and doing bits and bobs. And then, you know, I started getting heavily involved with drug scene, LSD, cannabis. So there wasn't one night or one day that I wasn't drunk or stoned 
from the age of maybe 14 right until, you know, a few years ago. And uh, and then with that, you know, um, I've become a gang leader. I'm 21, drinking in pubs. I'm doing a bit of credit card fraud, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm drinking in the pub full of villains, what, what proper old villains, you know, that, that, are, mm. that, that are well-known. And, and it took me back really to my childhood, and I was comfortable there. You know, I was comfortable being involved with the crime, the drugs, the alcohol. In fact, I quite liked it. I loved it. It was a big part of my life, you know. Um, and then, I mean, one of my gang members was in a prison, come out of prison, and while he was in jail, he, 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 I was, I was out flat with him one night, and he went, oh, by the way, when I was in jail, I tried some heroin. I looked at him, I, I thought, what? Did I end right? Because see, that word, heroin, for me, mm. was a complete no-no. The reason it was a no-no, because I used to see heroin addicts. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, at this point, I'm 18 half stone, I'm immaculate. I am, I wear suits of the daytime, I do credit card faults, I'm not, I need to, I've got a bit of money. And then of the night, I sleep all the afternoon, I go home, put a tracksuit on, come back out and get on it down the pub. And I should see these addicts, and I should look at them, and they were rotten. I, I, you know, they, they used to inject, and they were on teeth, they didn't wash, they were scruffy. You know, you wouldn't even, hmm. you know, you wouldn't give them time of day. Anyway, like a fault. About a week later, you know, he mentioned it again, and uh, curiosity, and uh, I thought I'd be okay, you know, and I, and I tried it, and it, it it got me. I mean, it got me so much that within 12 months of me first trying it, I tried it every day after. I look completely different. I become that person with the rotten teeth, skinny, undressed. My gang didn't want nothing to do with me. Now I'm in East London in these crack dens. And then within about 18 months, I started injecting it along with crack cocaine. Most people smoke crack, and I had needles snapping off my body. I got ulcerated legs. And my, the next 15 years of my life was chaos. It was complete and utter. It was either a hospital bed where I'd been stabbed and he died. It was either a hospital bed where I'd overdosed and they brought back to life. Or it was a prison cell or a crack den. And that was the three places where I lived and I was committing vast amounts of crime I was a shoplifter so I used to go to places like Arabs, Selfridges House of Fraser Debenhams and I used to nick like lots of designer clothes because that was easy sell so I'd, I'd, I'd have to nick average about £2,000 of stuff a day sell it for about five, 600 so that's what I was spending every day for, for many years and, and it got to the point where uh, my legs were bad I'd explored every avenue you see of, 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 of addiction knife crime gangs and all that and alcoholism and I'd, I'd, I'd exhausted every avenue of getting money. Every shop had pictures of me, the police were looking for me, I hated them. And, you know, one night overdose and the doctors come, you know, when I woke up in the hospital, he said, listen, you're in trouble. He said, see your leg. He said, that won't kill you. He said, the drugs won't kill you, the infection you got is gonna kill you. And I had a thing called um, pseudomonious. And it's like the next thing to gangrene. And my lungs obviously were really bad from, from, from the drugs and also I had pneumonia. And my haemoglobin, which is your white platelets of your blood, on the man, they're around 16, which is an average healthy one. If they go under four, you die. Mine was bang on four. So this doctor looked at me and said, if you don't stay in the hospital and let us treat you, got transfusion, nebulizers, you'll be dead in 24, 40 hours. And I left the hospital. I wanted to get back on it. And then something, somehow, I don't know what it was. So I'm running around and I've got a choice now. I'm going to die in 24 hours, two days, definitely, or I'll give myself up to the police because that was the only way I could physically stop. And the police were after me and I've done some terrible things in police stations, you know. I mean, even though I work alongside the police now to get me to schools and that, I was just strip off. I may sound harsh, but this is the nature of my illness. I had mm-hmm. and cover myself in my own shit, cut my wrist with razors, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the police. And I walked into one police station and you know what? 
to, I walked up to the desk. My leg was stinking rotten. I was eight mm. stone, and I was like near death, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I was bankrupt. I was done, and I broke down. Mm. I collapsed in the doorway, and I said, "Please help me." And I said, "I cried like a baby." First time I cried in years. They arrested me, took me back to the hospital. The doctors watched me for they watched me while the doctors got rid of the infections, and they gave me loads of blood, and they was pumping loads of blood in me. They brought me back to they saved my life. Mm. You know, saved my life. And then they took me to court four days later in a wheelchair. I went in the South End Court and they put all these charges into one. So I had about 25 charges of shoplifting brought to one court in the South End. And they took me in a wheelchair because my leg was so bad I couldn't walk at this point. And the judge looked at me, went six months in prison. So I ended up in Chelmsford Prison. Now the first person you see when you go to prison is a doctor. And the doctor in the prison looked at my leg. He went, no way. He said, you can't come in here. He said, we can't cut your leg off. We're not surgeons. We're just normal doctors. So they took me to, I don't know if you've heard of this hospital called Broomfield in Chelmsford. Yeah. And, and what it is, it's like a Burns hospital, but it's a massive great hospital anyway. And they took me there, and the surgeon come down, he looked at me, and he went, right, bring him up. So the guards took me up to the theatre, they handcuffed me to the bed, and they was going to cut my leg off. When another doctor suggested they put maggots in my legs for a few days, see if they can save it to eat all the infection out of it, because the antibiotics the doctors were giving me weren't working, because my immune system was support. And they put all these maggots. I remember they got them in a test tube, right? And all baby maggots. They put them on my leg. And then I was handcuffed. And, and all of a sudden, the bandage comes alive. After three or four days, oh. the whole band is moving. There's like 300 maggots pulling oh. all the flesh out of my legs. Yeah. And I used to wake up some mornings, right? Yeah. When I used to wake up, and I wake up some mornings, and the maggots had escaped out the bandage. And they'd oh. all be wiggling around by my, by my face and that. They'd be all in the bed. I remember oh. I used to pick them up and chuck them in the prison guards for a laugh and that. Right? They weren't angry with me, but... <laughs> Because you know what? They was all right in these guards because they looked after me, these prison guards. They used to have six guards a day and they'd do eight-hour shifts. So every eight hours, two new guards would come and take the handcuffs off and they'd done that for three months. In that three months, I got sober, I got clean and I'm still handcuffed every day and then eventually the maggots saved my legs. So I had 20 operations all in all to save my legs, skin grafts. They took skin off my good thigh, my right side, my leg, put it on the bottom one, and they saved them. Then after 12 weeks, all of a sudden, the prison governor came up. He walked into my room, I had a little side room. He went, take their handcuffs off. And I looked, and they took them off. He went, right, you're free. And they walked off, and I went, what do you mean I'm free? Well, you, you served your prison sentence. You've, you know, you served that. You've got to let you go. And I went to him, I ain't got nowhere to go. And uh, he walked off. The nurse walked into my room and went, now you're not a prisoner. We'll need to bed for someone else. And I, you know, I lied there and I, 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 I was terrified. And I thought, well, where do I go? No one come to visit me. My family basically hated me. I put my mum through hell. You know, I stole from her and I, I put my family absolutely through hell. And I thought, if I leave this hospital, even though I've not had a drink or a drug for three months, I'm going to go back to a crack den. That's all right. You know, that place I come from. But lucky mm. enough, over that 12 weeks, I sort of woken up a little bit, yeah, and realised that I didn't want to go back to that way of life. And I thought, what do I do? So I remember one of my pals in a rehab in Somerset named Larry, and I phoned him up. I said, Larry, I said, any chance I can come down? He went, listen, I've got a pal who's got a treatment centre. He said, but it's not a bed for you for five days. You can't just come down. You've got to wait the five days. And you've had a result waiting that time. And I said to him, Larry, I ain't got five days. Anyway, I said, let me ask the nurse. I called her in my room, the sister on the ward, and I really got on well with the nurses there. And I said, look, I've got a rehab. Can I stay for five days? Because the bed ain't ready in the, in the rehab. And she went, you can stay for five days. And she goes, after that, you've got to go. And you know what? It was such a relief, Stu. And then five days mm -hmm. later, I turned up at this rehab. I got a train down there. 
I still had loads of dangers on my leg. My leg felt more. I still weren't right healthily, but you know what? It was like a little bit of hope. And then place was called Hope House in Western Supermare. I remember I got there, and you know what, Stu? For a whole for the first week of being there, the twelve weeks I was in the rehab, I cried like a baby, mate. I was getting mm-hmm. in the toilet, and I've never I've never cried like that before. You know, I'd actually found a place where I could there was a chance for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I got into this. I got introduced to this program, and uh, they they run in rehabs, and I started you know doing more suggested, and I started doing some writing, and I couldn't read and write properly, so it's just, you know it was difficult for me at first. But I listened, and they should bring speakers in that have got clean and sober, and I should listen to them. And I should think, wow, man, these guys have got some good life. They're working, their families back in their life, you know, and. Uh, and, and I held on to it, and I got it, you know, eventually. Mm. And that was 13 years ago, and I had a drink since, or a drug, you know. And uh, But then after a couple of years of being down there, I come out of rehab, got a little flat, and I thought, what do I do with myself? You know, I've got boxes of convictions. I can't read them right properly. My legs weren't great. There's not many jobs I could do. I mean, who's going to give me a job? If I put my CV on someone's desk and they said, look, you've been chucked out of five schools, you've been in prison 15 times... <laughs> You know, they're going to probably chuck it in the bin. You know, not many people would employ me. You can't blame them. You know, it's just a protocol. Some companies don't employ people with criminal convictions. So I thought, hold on a minute. And I thought, you know what? All my past life, what was going on then, you know what I mean? And today, you know, kids killing each other with knives, gangs, drugs, alcohol, and I thought, I experienced I, You know, I've got, I've got 23 years of experience at this. Why don't I use it? So I started contacting schools. I come back to Essex. Bromford where I was brought up and I started emailing schools right and I got no reply so I thought I'm doing this wrong here so I drew up this like one email you know like yeah draft then Mm. I started every Sunday I should sit there because I'm computer illiterate and I should go on the computer and get all these schools in certain towns send them emails I got no replies then I got this company that has every school email in the country and you you pay them 500 quid and they email the schools for you I mean, they do it for all sorts of reasons, but obviously, you know, and, and, and I borrowed a bit of money to do it. And do you know what, Stu? I sent this email out twice, right, in a period of a week, or this company mm-hmm. did, to 25,000 schools, primary, secondary, colleges, universities. And do you know what? I didn't get one reply. In fact, I did. I got eight replies. And the first three were, please don't contact our school again. We're not interested. And I was trying to offer these people, like, you know, <laughs> some workshops for their kids to stop them getting involved with what I did. And, like, after 50,000 no's, basically what I got, you'd think, no, it's like I'm wasting my time, you know? But I had a little bit of courage and I had a little bit of faith and uh, and I kept going. And all of a sudden, I got an email from a football club in London called Queen's Park Rangers. And they went, listen, we've, you know, we... We've heard about your story, blah, blah, blah. And by then, I've been to a few schools. So there was a few started to invite me. Mm. And then um, and it all kicked off. And that yeah. was eight years ago. And in the past eight years, I've educated uh, 400,000 kids. I've been, oh, you know, right. you know, you follow me on social media and that. Yeah. And, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I educate tens of thousands of kids every year. And I, I got too busy in the end where you came to schools in five one-hour talks a day. Then you was posting stuff, as you said, on Instagram, and the feedback I was getting was great. And then the police started to employ me and get me to schools, all the football clubs. And I did have a plan of educating one million kids. I remember I told a few people, this was eight years ago, I said, you know what, I might go and educate a million kids. They looked at me like I was probably on drugs still. They said, you're mad, you know? And uh, I'm halfway there now, you know. Yeah. But also, look, you know, when I, when, I was, when, when I got clean and sober... I had to look at not just the damage I'd caused myself physically, emotionally, mentally. 
had to look at the damage I'd caused people I'd loved, you know, um, and, and let down for years. So I had to make amends, you know, to my mum, and she forgave me in the end, and, I've, you know, my brothers and that, and, you know, my dad wasn't in my life, but, um, and, and, you know, and that's what I did, and I did decent today. And I've got a daughter as well, and um, her name's Ria, she's 24, and I was never allowed to see her. And I'll tell you what happened, 24 years ago, I was in the madness, but I managed to have a short period of time when I was on off the drugs, alcohol, and I had a girlfriend named Joanne. She's beautiful, yeah. And she took me back at this particular time when I'd got sober and clean, and in that time, I got her pregnant. And when she was five months pregnant, I went out one day, I relapsed. I got, I got, I got back on it, and uh, I disappeared, never see her again. And, um, and about three months later, I was in prison in London, Pentonville, and I remember I was in there for shoplifting or something. I remember lying on the bed one afternoon, and all of a sudden, these letters come under the door. They just chuck your letters under the door. So I looked, and it was like, for me, I thought it was for my cellmate. And I thought, who's written me a letter? And uh, I recognised the handwriting, and I opened it. It was from Joanne, my girlfriend. She found out I was in prison. She found all the prisons up blessed her to find out where I was. So I read the letter, and she went, look, please let me come and see. I'm still pregnant. She goes, I'll give birth in two weeks. So bless her, two days later, on a hot summer's day, Eight and a half months pregnant, bless her. She jumps on the train all the way from Romford, come to London. Now, I don't always like to be eight and a half months pregnant on a hot summer day and travel on public transport, but that's what she did with a little bit of hope. And the reason she come all that way to the prison to visit me, because she found out from the prison I had a week left. So I'd have been out before the birth. So two days later, the prison guard come and took me from my cell, took me to the visiting hall, and I'm sitting all excited about it because it's a real day, and they're there in this hall. And she walks in, and she lit this hall up. She looked absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, you know, it was like yesterday. Mm. She was dressed in white from top to bottom. She had this long, blonde, curly hair. She's all like big and fat, like pregnant fat. <laughs> and she's come walking up to me. She was massive. And um, she burst into tears. And she sat with me for an hour. That's all the busy was. And she begged me. And I thought, who's she to beg me? And she said, please promise me when you get out of prison next week, will you move in my flats? I promise. You get a job, I promise. When the baby's, you know, when I'm giving birth, will you be there by my side? 100%. And you'll never touch drugs again. I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm going to get out and, you know, behave myself. And I said, look, when the baby's born, we get married. And she said, yes. After an hour, she had to go. So I give her a big hug and a kiss. I said, see you next week. I love you. She's walked off, went back to my cell, mate. I said, I'm going to be a dad. I'm getting married. I can't wait. Seven days later, the prison released me. And when you get released from prison, they give you back your property, like your bit of clothes and that. And they give you a little bit of money. All prisoners get it. They call it a discharge, like £60. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Leave the prison in London, Pentonville, get a train to Romford, go to a flat, drop my clothes off, have a bit of food with her, and the money the prison give me, it wasn't a lot, but I'd give it to her for the baby so she can buy some nappies and milk and stuff. Anyway, cut a long story short, when they released me from the prison, they released me with six other prisoners, and I knew one of them very well. I'd used with him before in crack dens. And instead of going to uh, see her, I went off with him. Do you know what, Stu? Within 10 minutes of being out the prison gate, I had four cans of Kestrel. Mm. I drank three of them. Within an hour of being at the prison gate, I was in a crack den injecting in my boy and crack cocaine, heroin. Never turned mm. up. Never see her again. Now, that is how powerful addiction and alcoholism is. You know, the fact that mm. I, you know, the, the fact can't stop me. My, you know, love of my life, you know, a girl I absolutely adore and love. I'm just about to give birth to my daughter, can't you know? If that can't stop me, nothing can, and I'm just back in the madness, and I never see her again. And until, and, and then I, you know, after about five years, um, she met 
some decent bloke in Essex married him, and you know now she calls him dad. But anyway, after a few years of me being um, clean, I went back to Essex as you, you know as you know, and I started going around school. Yeah. And I was living in Romford. I only like the road. Now I live in Brentwood, and my daughter lives in Romford somewhere. Haven, it's a big place for Romford, isn't it? Mm. And I thought, what it really looks like. So what I got a bit nosy, and I found out a second name. I looked her up on social media, and she had a dead second name, which is okay. And I found her profile, which is quite pretty. So I had some pictures sent from my nan as well, so I knew what my daughter looked like. Anyway, a few years later, I'm in Romford, and I'm walking down the road, and I think I went past the pine mashers in Starbucks, and I see her in there, and she was sitting in there with her stepdad, and it was like, you know, they hear me. You know, like, mm. actually me with her, you know, not 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 a stepdad, but fair play to him. And, you know, it, it really hit me hard at the fact that, you know, I see my daughter with a stepdad and I thought, you know, I'm clean now and I, I'd love to do that. Anyway, a few days later, I'm through my website, I've got a big website and I get bookings all the time. A school in Upminster called Sacred Heart booked me. And the woman, woman emailed me, the head teacher, she went, can you come to our school next week and do a talk for our year 10? Well, I'd done a little bit of research and I found out it was my daughter's school. And my daughter was year 10. Her, her teacher didn't realise I was her dad. And I thought, wow, man, I'll get my daughter's call, do a talk. I better let her run, though, Joanne. But I didn't have a number, so I put it on Facebook and I'm phone her up. And she went, like, do you know what? She goes, I've heard about your school talks. But sadly, the day you're going to rear school, she's at another school called Cooper's Coburn, just up the road doing a work experience day. Otherwise, I might have considered letting you say hello to her. I thought, OK, you know, it's been luck. Mm-hmm. So I've turned out my daughter's call and the talk between 11 and 12 o'clock, come out at lunchtime to go home. As I walked out of the school gate, you know what I mean, don't you? Towards, yeah. towards, um, obviously, town centre. Yeah. As I'm walking down, I've looked up, and in the distance, she's come walking towards me. This girl with long blonde hair. And I realised who it was. It was my daughter. She wants to come back for a bit of lunch. And let me tell you something, Stuart. I educate tens of thousands of kids. Right? I stand up in front of tens of thousands of people every year. I ain't scared of anyone. But this 14-year-old little girl... There's 100 metres away from me, walking towards me. I am terrified because I'm thinking, what do I say to her? Do I scare her? I'm scared myself. I don't know her to reject me. And I plucked the courage up and she got closer and closer. And I walked up with Rhea and she looked at me and I went, she went, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm your dad, Paul. And you know what? I think we had a little hug and we stood there mm-hmm. for five minutes chatting. And it was like looking at myself. Do you know, mm-hmm. like, just a prettier version. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and it was like, what we spoke about, I can't remember. And then mm. she's walked back into school and it was, do you know what? It was the best day of my life. I waited a long time for that, 14 years. So I rushed down, wrote her a letter and I can't spell properly, it took me ages and it was in the men's letter and I said, dear Rhea, I'm sorry what I did to you and your mum. It was lovely to see you today. And after the bigger men's letter, I apologised for my behaviour and all that. I said, I'd love to see you again and I put my address and phone number and I put PS, love dad, big kiss. And I thought, oh, she contacted me, and I posted it. I thought she'd either text me or write to me. And after about a week, I'm checking my phone every day, nothing, no letter. So then I sent a friend request on Facebook, no reply. Two weeks went by, I thought, she must have read my letter by now. She must have. She's definitely seen my friend request. And you know what she decided? That she didn't want to see me. Mm. And I was gutted. I really built up hope that because I've sought my life out and she'd met me once that she'd want to see me again and I thought you know life goes on and you know why would she want to see me really she's got a dad now mm. and uh, you know and I chose to get involved with drugs and alcohol and anyway that was on day 15 and then all of a sudden my phone rang and I picked it up and it was Joanne her mum my daughter's mum she phoned me up and I was quite shocked I said you're alright Joanne she went yeah 
I said, I said, what's wrong? She went, look, nothing's wrong. She goes, we just got back from holiday last night. We've been away for two weeks. <laughs> and she went, we've seen your letter. And, you know, I haven't read it. Rhea's read it. And she said she'd like to see you. Would you like to take her out? And I was like, honestly, my whole body, like, I was like, got, my ears are standing on end on my arm. That's your thing. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I was like, really? She went, yeah. And then it was like, where do I take her? You know, a week later, I went for a cheeky Nando's and <laughs> in Romford in the brewery. And uh, yeah. that, was our, that was our first date. And you know what? Um, ever since that, you know, in the past now, I think it's seven years, I've had a major relationship with her. You know, we, yeah. we go out for food. I go around to mums and we go, you know, uh, I get great big Father's Day cards. You know, it's, uh, yeah. It's, I've only got to be in the same room as her. And I'm on a high. She ain't got a split, yeah. you know. So it, it's just, it's just. And you know what? Look, that's all for me. And working the program and 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 being responsible, father, yeah. sober, clean, and you know. And as I said, and and you know what? what look, I'm, my life's so great today. It's incredible. I know we've got all this stuff going on, and we got to, we can talk about that. About you know, yeah. it's um. This is, I'll tell you what this is similar, this situation at the minute. Now, I've been in prison 15 times. Now, when you go to prison, what you do is you get told, you, you, you're locked in a small space for a certain period of time, however long your sentence is. And prison's all about a loss of liberty, yeah, a loss of freedom, all right? And it's similar to today, really, in terms of what's mm. going on. You know, we've all been told to stay in a certain place for a certain amount of time, all right, you're allowed out basically for about an hour or so. You can't do so much exercise. And that was the same in prison. You know, you get out for your hour of exercise and then you're locked in this whole space. So, you know, all, 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 all uh, our, our little creature comforts have been taken from us, right? Be mm. coffee shops, holidays, food, you know, restaurants. Mm. Um, but with prison, you have a release date. So you know when it's coming to an end. Whereas this, in hindsight, no one is knowing you know, when is it going to end? Mm. And I think if we do a little bit of research and be patient, because a lot of people ain't patient and we have a little bit of faith, mm. you know, so where's our faith here, you know, that this will pass? Because if we actually look at where it originated from, in a country, in Wuhan, China, which has a massive population, probably 100 times more than us, yeah, over a billion people, mm. they're okay now. You know, I've looked online and yeah. they're back to work and they're back to... You know, the trains are running, everyone, you know, they're still being careful, but it's okay now there. They're back to a normal living. And it'll guess it'll happen. It's just doing, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea of, you know, this, yeah. this, uh, I've, I've seen articles, I've seen stuff, it's thrown in their face, but I'm trying to avoid watching the news at the minute, which I'm doing yeah. well, you know, but it'll pass. And it's just about all of us, me, you, you know, I'm, I'm on for years now doing what's suggested, keeping ourselves healthy, isolate, yeah. isolating ourselves as much as possible, and obviously becoming mentally sane, because a lot of people will struggle with this, you know? I mean, I'm lucky I live alone, but if you only be in a big yeah. house full of people, it can be, I guess it can be yeah. quite, you know, it can be quite taxing emotionally, you got me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got five kids, and I'm yeah. three grandchildren, you know, and it's, uh, the, the, the challenges are there. Um, but we've, there's only four of us now, which is a bit odd. Okay. You know, there's four of us because there's only four of us live here now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, but even that, even that four, there's conflict. There's, 
you know, uh, they look forward to me to go out on my daily walk. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they like, go. You know, the longer the better. No, but you know, like, it, you know, like, it's like, as I said, going back to prison, yeah. a lot of people, you know, we remember 99.9% of the people in this country yeah. have been to prison. No, but no, right. now they've got half an idea of what it's like to be put in a small space yeah. and, and you know, and, and, and have to tolerate. So that's what love is, tolerate, isn't it? How much, how much you love me? Let's see how much I tolerate you. Yeah. Let's see, this is a real test of love now. Yeah. You know, this, this may break a few people and this may bring people closer. We don't know. Yeah. But let's hope after it, I don't think everyone will feel like it, but let's hope after this, people will be a bit more grateful yeah. No. Oh, you know, please. You know, we've always spoken about that. Yeah. Gratitude, mate. Gratitude. I've always said it, right? Yeah, you know, with Nick and that, be grateful for yeah. that. I've said it for years. Be yeah. grateful for everything. Yeah. You know, and I even got a tattoo on my arm. And, you know, I got yeah. told this by a guy once. He said, don't arm anyone. Trust a few people, but yeah. love all. And I yeah. said, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, then after years of them silly free words that, yeah. You mention all the time. You think, what well, are them words? Yeah. Well, if I don't, if I if I love you, right? Yeah. And if, if I love you, which I do, yeah. Yeah. I can never harm you. Yeah. If I truly love, and and because you know, I'll never judge you. No. I never resent you. I never harm you. And, yeah. my, and 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 that works back because you could never harm me because if you did try and harm me, which you I know you never would. But anyone yeah. that tries to harm me, if I love them, truly love them, I'll know that they're spiritually unwell, and yeah. I'll forgive them. You got me? Yeah. So I can never resent anyone. I can never hate anyone because I love all. And then the other one is obviously trust a few, which keeps us yeah. safe. And, and but never harm anyone, you know? Never no. harm anyone. No. So that's all I ever did when I was drinking, taking drugs, was yeah. emotionally harm people, you know? But today, yeah. that's how I live my life. I ain't, I, who am I? I'm just basically an ex-crackhead. And now yeah. I go around educating hundreds of thousands of children. But yeah. with hope that they look at what I did and they go on my website and they look at all my injuries in my legs. I still dress my legs every day. Some days they're good, some days they're bad. I'm you know, 13 years clean. I still have to put bandages on them. Um, I'm still on medication for the blood clots. I still get rid You know, I have to exercise yeah. because it's good to get the blood flowing in my legs. I can't sit around too long. But no. that's okay, you know. I put my shorts on. You know, today, walking around with my yeah. bandages around Brentwood. I might as well get yeah. my legs out, show them off. They cost enough money. They cost a million pounds to get like that. <laughs> I've <laughs> got the most expensive leg in Essex. <laughs> so, you know, like, look, it's just, um, as I said, you, you know, if I was to meet someone who was struggling with this virus, corona, isolation yeah. stuff, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's, uh, you can't just, you can use the word, you know, uh, patience, and people know what it is, but a lot of people struggle with patience. Of course. And a lot of people struggle with, with faith. Mm-hmm. Unless you've already probably got a faith in your life. Yeah. I mean, some people obviously can draw on it now, but unless you already had a faith in your life and an understanding of something, yeah. then I think you're, you're, you're getting through this a bit easier. Yeah. Than telling someone to have a bit of faith, you know what I mean, when someone's not patient, you know? So there will be a lot of people that will struggle with this. And yes, we do know probably mental health will rise through this, but let's hope that this yeah. is over as soon as possible. And then even a bit of normality, you know, that human connection's good for mental health. Talking's good for mental health. Do you know? Mm. Yeah, but I, I found that um, the biggest thing that I'm going to learn from this um, uh-huh. is the connection. 
And, and oh, I man. thought, I, I'm learning, I, every day I'm learning so much about myself during this time. Yeah. So I'm very observant and I want to know why yeah. this is happening. I know why this is happening. It's a pause uh-huh. button. It's a reset. It's a, yeah. humanity's got, you know, a chance and an opportunity to learn and grow from this. Mm, and one so. of the things is, well, yeah, and I said to someone yesterday, shame on us if we don't, because you're never, ever going to get this opportunity, please God, again. Uh, and and we, it, something positive will and must come out of it, which will be le- like to learn and to grow. And, you know, I'm speaking, to, I, I'm, well, I, I'm about a two-hour walk every day, and yeah. on that time, I'm phoning people. Every yeah. day I'm phoning different people. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting back in touch with people. I'm ringing yeah. my mum twice a day. Yeah. Now, shame on me, mate, because my oh, mum yeah. is 83, lives on her own, and I used to go and see her once a week. Yeah. And I was too busy to, too busy to ring her. Because I'm such yeah. an important person yeah. that I haven't got time. And it's, oh, she understands because she knows I'm a busy man. Right. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Terrible. Selfish. Yeah, it's selfish. selfish. It's selfish. Yeah. So, the, yeah. you know, the first thing is, I know at the end of this, it, but this, it, it's changed. This change is happening every day to me, mm. and they're all spiritual. Sort of it's a spiritual. It's, yeah. it's a dynamical. It's, it's a dynamic spiritual um, 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 change here. Not for all, because you know, it's just like, like you talk about your mum. I know that's physically go to my mum's house, but I meet her in a cask. You know, but I've more contact with her. You know, now she's quite old. She's got emphysema, and you know, um, yeah. but that you are right, and lots of people are getting in touch with each other. Mm. Let's hope. It won't happen for all, but let's hope that from this, people can appreciate mm. um, what they have got at the minute and, you know, be grateful for what they've got. And when it does subside and people do go back, because I I, I do know my mindset. Don't forget, when I was coming out of jail, I was quite spiritually unwell. I had no program, I had nothing. And mm. I'd forget about the prison and be back to, because it was available to me, you got me? I quickly yeah. forgot. So let's hope people don't quickly forget when... Yeah. They've got that um, back to normal living, the little bit of luxury they did have before yeah. this. That there are people out there still, and it ain't a material world. This ain't a material, you know, it's got nothing to do with materialism. This is a spiritual um, 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 world we live in, mm-hmm. and a lot of people get caught up in the, you know, the self-centeredness, the spiritual stuff, the you know, the non-spiritual stuff. You got me. Mm-hmm. So as you said, phoning in people, making people feel, you know, human and loved. But this is yeah. what this is all about, really. Love, in a sense, you know? Of course. Of course. You know, it's, it's, it's showing love to other people, and that's how you receive love yourself. Of course. And, um, you know, like, what you do, what you go, you know, what you go out and do. Um, there's a few things I've I've got from that over the years. Like, I, I remember you said to me once, um, that, um, like, a, a particular school had said to you, like, we've got a problem with our 16-year-olds. Uh-huh. And you said, well, get me in and let me talk to your 10-year-olds. Yeah. Because otherwise, in six six years' time, you're going to have trouble with the same yeah. problem with those kids. Yeah. And it really struck a chord with me is that, that prevention rather than cure, you know, that thing yeah. of, you know, and some some schools have been resistant you know, to get you in at a young age. Well, it took me, Stuart, yeah, to speak to 400,000 kids, right? It's not fell on my lap. You know, I took, you know, I do a bit of voluntary work at all the primary schools in Havering. I don't charge there, yeah. I put something back yeah. in that community that I brought up in yeah. and a lot of my mates. Because a lot of my old gang members, they make it, you know. 
Mm. They severe mental health. Some killed themselves. Some died from drugs, and some are still using, and some are in prison for uh, stabbings, like life sentences. Yeah. So when I look and I think, you know, uh, and, and yeah, you're right, some schools do wait for the shit chip fan. They go, oh, come, we haven't got a problem. I say, well, yeah. you know, you're always going to have a problem. It's life today, but the numbers you've got at the minute are going to be rising in six years' time if you don't let me speak to your the younger ones that are not in gangs yet. Let me tell you, olds now in, in in London, right, uh, are are fully fledged gang members. Not one. How many ten year olds walk around with knives, willing to stab someone? If there is any, it's one in a million. You know, how many are homeless, addicted to drugs, alcohol? None. Not one. Yeah. So then, why aren't we as a community? Why aren't we as a society? Why aren't all these head teachers getting some form of experience to come and talk to these ten year olds that are all vulnerable to alcoholism? Yeah. They're all vulnerable to gang life addiction. You know, every young person's vulnerable. Come on, you know, yeah. it ain't just like, you know, uh, uh, no matter what colour your skin, what background you've got, addiction don't care about that. Alcoholism don't care about that, no. you know? So if we can educate as many young people as possible, then when they get the opportunity to do what I did at the average age of 14, 15, 16, they've had some talks and they understand consequence. Then they've yeah. got a choice. Then they've got a choice. Every young person has a choice, but if they don't understand the consequence, they might take that choice. And later on in life, it might come back and get them and take them to a dark place like it did me, you know? Yeah. I wish I would come to my school, you know, when I was young, someone who knew what I was talking about, yeah. sat in front of me. Because all my teachers had to do was sit down there for one hour, not get me in every day for a week or a month, one hour. No. And if that was hard enough, showing the maggots in my legs and the pictures that I got from the hospital, it's all on the yeah. website. And the kids look and they think, wow, man, really? You know, yeah. do, do, do people do that to themselves, share needles and, you know, yeah. needles stuck in my body and, you know, cut my wrist in police cells and, yeah. you know, stealing from my family. And they said, why did you do that? Why would you yeah. do it? Because this is what I did when I was young, addiction, alcoholism, and it, and it, it totally took over my life. Yeah. But I don't do that today, you see? No, no. And it's great and being it's... sober. I'm no. conscious today. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, spiritually, I spiritually woke up. Spiritually awake, yeah. Yeah, spiritually awake, yeah. It's yeah. Just, you know, and, and, I, and I, have to, I have to remain awake by doing nice things for others. Mm. I cast myself I as an error, an errand boy. You yeah. know, like an errand boy. Running, uh, that's yeah. all I am. I, I, I get an yeah. email from a school or college, university. You know, I turn up. Even the police now pick me up and take me to schools. How many that hate the yeah. police now they pick me up and take me to schools? <laughs> and I'm thinking, that, what's really going on here? Now. And do you know what the funny thing about it is? The money they pay me with... It's from the proceeds of crime from drug dealers. So now I'm getting a rebate. I'm getting some money back. <laughs> right, mate, I might have spent some drug dealers. The irony. The all of it. They picked me up and take me to school. I hated school. I hated the police. And then now they pick me up and take me to school sometimes. And it's yeah. like, you look and you think, wow. And I wanted to be a footballer. And I started working in football clubs. You know, I was at Amsterdam yeah. a little while ago. And, you yeah. know, all the little... And, 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 but as I said, look, this, this, I live decent. Yeah. I live decent. I, 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 I wake up every day. I'm relevant from what's going on at the minute. Even, you know, all these last 13 years, I woke up every day and I've looked and been grateful and I've yeah. paid my way in life. You know, I pay yeah. my taxes. Yeah. I, I'm honest. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I, I just try and, you know, do the best I can on any one given day. Yeah. You know, and, and it's about taking, I mean, I, I like going to the gym, so physically I like taking care of myself, mentally, emotionally, and physically, all that. Yeah. What, you know, I, I try and um, do something every day yeah. to just improve my conscious contact with something. You know, yeah. that's gonna that's gonna help me sleep at night. Get in bed at night. I'm asleep within seconds. Yeah, yeah I love it. Yeah. You know, and as I said, you know, anyone 
who, who I say to the kids sometimes, and I talk about, you know, the sixth form was about getting a job and going for an interview and not getting it and not being downhearted, you know, disheartened, because a lot of people have to go for lots of interviews, don't they, to get jobs. Yeah. And I say to them, look, if you take the leaf out of my book, I've got 50,000 no's before I've got one yes. <laughs> You know, that's what you, you got, got 50,000 interviews, you know what I mean? You but got I more than Colonel Sanders, didn't you? If yeah, probably. Like that many, did he? I don't know, that kind of, no, he didn't, no. Or Dyson, wasn't it? It was one of them, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, basically I've got 50,000 knockbacks, you know. Yeah. I respectively, some of them have been able to get through to the right person. But, and then now, them 50,000 knows are turning to 400,000 kids being educated, you know? Yeah. Because I, I, because I just knew that what I had was, 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 um, was a positive. Yeah. And I knew that I would change many young minds. I mean, I get tens of thousands of messages on Instagram. If you added it all up, there's yeah. thousands of Instagram, Twitter, yeah. from kids, you know? So the proof's there, and that's what yeah. people are looking at, you know? They're yeah. thinking, well, where's, where's, our, where's our time and money going to go? Well, yeah. let me come and speak to your kids. I ain't quite near the money, and I'll, and I'll stop yeah. some of them from living like I used to, you know? Yeah. But there you go. So in hindsight, over listening to this, you know, in terms of like, all right, what, what I did and what I do today, but, you know, it's that, 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 them three words I got told, you know, and you know the guy, and it was like, love all, trust a few, and don't harm anyone. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and the world will be a much better place to live in. Yeah. You know, um, but sadly, you know, I think things will go back to how they was. I know there will be some change, a spiritual yeah, change. Of course. But, but human, that's human nature. You know, we can't expect all the world to wake up. They'll fall back to sleep. And, yeah, you, you know, can't hold up, hold back the tide, my friend. But you can. No, you know, no. At least, at least you can say and admire how beautiful it is. That's a, yeah, um, you know, I look at my window now. I'm sitting here, yeah. and I can just feel I've got a little flat in Brentwood. It's a nice little flat, and I look yeah. out my window where there's no leaves on the tree. I'm looking now, and the sun's just setting over the top oh, of London, yeah. and then yeah. the lights appear. You know, all the red lights at the top of the yeah. wall. I can feel yeah. them flickering at night. And I look out the window and I see the squirrels in the morning and do you know what? It blows yeah. me away and I think, yeah. a lot worse places I could be right now. That's cool. Pack dens, hospital yeah. beds, prison cells. Tenton beds. If I ever got invited <laughs> on to Mastermind, that'd be my specialist subject. <laughs> prison cells and crack dens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's um, funny. I've, I've got to remember, while it's in my mind, I've got to remember it, that you spoke at my kids' school. Okay, yeah, I remember you mentioned yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really made me laugh because... You know, I'd been, I'd been, up similar time to you, like, you know, 14 yeah. years ago. Funny enough, yeah. it's next Friday, next Friday, I've 14 years ago, I walked into, uh, uh changed my life. And, yeah. um, brilliant. Well done. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. And, um, see, and the kids, and I've been banging on all this thing, and I'm sort of trying to spread the message and all that, and try to be a, an education to my kids and that. Yeah. And they come home one day and went, oh, dad. This bloke came to our school today, and he had he had this most wonderful message about this, that, and the other. <laughs> and my first my first thought was, I'll be fucking telling you that for years, you little shit. <laughs> 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 oh, his name's Paul. I went, oh yeah, I know yeah. him. You know him? You actually know him? I said, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> and it's, like, it. it's brilliant. It's honestly, you know what, right? it was so was, when, you, when you speak to so many kids, right? Yeah, I'll be yeah. Like, every every time I'm there, I see kids. Yeah. And the funniest, the funniest place I've ever met someone. I went, I went to South Africa a few years ago with yeah. his current girlfriend at the time, and I we we come out of our lodge and they took us to this elephant park, and this elephant park was an hour away from our lodge, and our lodge was in really deep light. 
South Africa, you know what I mean? Yeah. Really rural. So we got to this elephant sanctuary place, and there weren't a lot of people there. So I jumped on the back of this elephant, and I'm going through the jungle, and all of a sudden, this other elephant's come back past us with this, this, this young boy in the back. He was about 19, 20. And he pointed at me, he went, Paul Hannaford. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to show a YouTube video yesterday, so I can't believe it. He says, in the middle of South Africa in the jungle and back at so it's like a joke, doesn't it? But it weren't. But uh, yeah. we used to be so many kids in that. You know, as I said, I, yeah. I, I have a you know, following on social media and it's yeah. mainly all work stuff. But look, look, you know, I'm confident I'll be back to work soon. I've had lots of cancellations yes. and I'm out of work now for a good five, six months, which is okay. Yeah. You know, I'm in, I, I, as I said, I've got an account and I'm entitled to that bit of government money when it comes. So, yeah. uh, you know, I won't end up homeless because of this. I won't no. end up hungry because of this. And I'm no. confident when the kids go back, I'll be getting new rebookings and I'll be very busy again. Of course. At the minute, for all of us, you know, that, yeah. that work in a field of where, you know, you have to go out and, and, and work with others like you do with your work and that, you know, yeah. which is great. Um, yeah. I'll go and hold a little bit, you know. It's, it has, um, yeah. It's broke my heart, but it's just you know, I'm sure it has, sitting you know on my what? hands and it's difficult, yeah. but, you know. yeah. I'm still yeah, in touch with okay. everyone, and you know, and yeah, it, 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 we just, we just, we just got to be ready for when we can get back out there. That's all we can do yeah. out of our hands, you know. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just that, that you know, that you know, what's going on? We're powerless over it. Yeah, we're responsible yeah. for it. We're responsible for our for our health. Yeah. In terms of obviously then what what the government say, yeah, yeah, and try not to get this virus, right? But we're powerless over what's going on. You know, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's in the hands of of life. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, we have no control over it. So, yeah. as I said, it was just like tsunami and a tidal wave now. It's going around this world with this yeah. disease and it's wiping people out, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, sadly, my mum, you know, lost her best friend two days ago. And, and mm. but, you know, it's, um, it, it, it will pass. And as you said, let's hope over this period of isolation like you've done and I've done people started to communicate and show yeah. some love because I tell you yeah. what this is like I'm not sure if I, I, I might be the only person that felt like this but when it first happened the initial shock of the isolation lockdown you know I'm quite sensitive yeah like all of us I guess you know yeah. I felt like I'd just come out of a long term relationship I really yeah. feel like Honestly, I really feel I really felt yeah. quite emotional, and I felt like mm. I felt really alone in that. You know, mm. I wasn't, but you know, I don't know. But then obviously I started to reach out, and it, it yeah. gave me, and, it, and and I guess all people might be feeling like similarly. So mm. it's some sort of loss, but it's not. It's not a loss. It's just obviously a shock to the system. And yes, mm. it is a loss of liberty, which is saying when you go to prison, you know, you mm. you lose your your sense of freedom, and that's what a lot of people feel like now that. They can't go on their holidays this year, maybe, or they can't do. They can't do that. So sometimes it's about being life. It's about being like ego sensitive or life sensitive. So I do a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of posts, and I can't run. They can't go to you know, That's ego sensitive. Then I see a lot of life sensitive where people are got a lot of empathy, and they are saying, you know, people are dying here. Mm. You know, mm. my is the last thing I should worry about. My job should be the last thing I'm worried about. I should worry exactly. about keeping myself healthy. Yeah. And having a bit of empathy and looking at all these people that are dying and, mm. you know, yeah. But you know what? Look, you know, it's, uh, as I said, it's an unfortunate thing that some good will come from it and yeah. let's hope it passes, you yeah. know, as soon as possible mm. and we get back to that normal way of life with a bit more love. Mm. 
Well, Paul, I'm so grateful to you, mate, and um, I've known you for a long, long time now, mm-hmm. and uh, I've heard you speak about it, but that's, I just feel I've just really enjoyed just listening to you, mate. Um, it's been a great, you know, the time's flown, and we're just pretty much coming to the end of it now. What I'll yeah. do is I'll obviously put the links on you, you know, on the bottom of the podcast, I'll put the links to your website and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and really you've got YouTube videos and all that. Yeah, and I want people to, like to you, you're very well known anyway, but I just want people to reach out and see your story because it's so inspiring. And, um, you know, and, and, and as you say, we can only sow the seeds out there. And, yeah, you know, hopefully, if anyone, even if you were one person, it's just still a miracle, isn't it? That's, some, that's someone's, that's someone's, son, daughter, brother, sister, grandson, granddaughter, cousin. Yeah. You know, everyone's got someone, ain't they? Mm. You know, and I, don't, I don't believe no one should uh, have to uh, die from drugs or alcohol, but, you know, I'm gonna say I do my best. I have no magic wand. But, you know, the more kids I speak to, the more young mind I change, and let's hope a few head more teach, if all the head teachers wake up and start yeah. to put academics, you know, to one side for a little bit and let these kids have a little bit of a, of a life lesson and keep them safe, you know? Mm. Exactly. Well, Paul, you're well, a gentleman. Friend, congratulations I'll on Friday. You. And, uh, I'll give you a little text. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to uh, seeing it. And, yeah, thanks, Stuart. I'll, I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you. Bye, mate. God bless. Bye, mate. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.